Yeah, so anyway, uh, Craig here, if we haven't met before, and um, I just want to apologise because <laughs> I do have <coughs> a very manly voice at the moment, um, which is not my intention, although I wouldn't want like a squeaky voice, so I'm pretty happy with my normal voice, but um, it's just a wee bit, just a wee bit extra husky. Hey, so um, if we can flick onto my pictures, I, will, I wanted to show you this. This is a really big book, not a Bible. <coughs> it's um, called the Webster's Encyclopedic Unabridged Dictionary of the English Language. You almost need a dictionary to look up half of the words in the title. I bought it when I was at university because I thought it would be a good investment. <coughs> uh, I pretty much just use it to lift weights now. <laughs> so heavy, and then the internet came along. Uh, but I do want to share with you an, uh, an entry in it and... Um, and it is the word prayer. So this is what Webster's, I'm not even going to open it up because it'll take me like half an hour to find the page. But Webster's says that prayer is this, a devout petition, adoration, confession, or thanksgiving directed to God or an object of worship. And you probably know that. I mean, it's just a really fancy way of saying sort of what prayer is. But I need to be honest with you. I find prayer really hard, particularly when I read about maybe people in the Bible or Christians from the past, from history, and it seems like praying was really easy for them. I mean, they, they, they cry out to God, and then they get some sort of audible reply from Him or some sort of tangible sign. There's a very obvious response to their prayers, but that's not really my, my regular experience. And so, um, Again, I find praying harder, and I think what makes it harder is that our, our interactions, our everyday interactions with people are quite dynamic. So I'm used to speaking and listening, or I'm used to a bit of back and forth and a dialogue, and, and that's what we have. And when I pray, there's no real audible voice booming from the sky. There's no uh, big message, there's no kind of sign in the heavens, and maybe that's true for you. <clears throat> I don't know, but... I think the thing that I'm learning as I get older is that sometimes if something is hard, it's also important. And persevering through hard things means that they are often valuable in the long run. And so even though it's difficult, even though I find it really, really tough going, I try to persist with prayer. Not because I'm good at it, definitely not because I'm good at it, and, and definitely in the face of challenges and toughness, but I persist because I want to see change. And I'm guessing that really, <clears throat> that's probably one of the main reasons that all of us actually pray. Like when life is challenging, when stuff happens beyond our control, that's when our prayers tend to get the loudest. <clears throat> and I'm not talking about those prayers and you're like driving in the car and you go, God, please get me a car park because I'm in a rush, okay? And they're important. <laughs> but I'm talking about the big stuff, those struggles that we face, the stresses that we're carrying. And, and when we see a need for change in our circumstances or maybe even a change in our character. When we can't see a way forward or we can't see a way out or we can't see a way up, that's when we, that's when we pray the loudest. And we ask God to miraculously turn around a health diagnosis. We ask God to, to supernaturally restore a rocky relationship or that somehow there will be money in the account. Or, or to intervene or to change the attitude of our child or a parent or our friend or a boss or a neighbor or a teacher or a colleague. Or we pray and we, and we ask God to generously give us extra grace or, or more patience or more wisdom 
for the stuff that we're facing. And so in those moments, what we do is we pray big prayers. We ask God to create change for us and through the power of his Holy Spirit to, to turn things around, to make a difference, to, to bring something better. And so this morning, friends, I want to remind you that prayer is the catalyst for that change. Prayer is our opportunity to ask God anything that is in line with his will. So look, let me just give you an example here. 2,000 years ago, Jesus was explaining uh, to his first followers just how close the relationship was between him and his father. Is this gone? This. <laughs> and uh, anyway, Jesus says this. He says, I tell you the truth. <clears throat> Anyone who believes in me will do the same works I have done and even greater works because I'm going to be with the Father. You can ask for anything in my name and I will do it so that the Son can bring glory to the Father. Yes, ask me for anything in my name and I will do it. That sounds pretty good, right? Anything in my name. I probably should put a caveat here. That's not, that's not a blank check from Jesus, okay? God's not this like cosmic vending machine. We just turn up and he'll just start automatically dispensing whatever we want. But it is an invitation to pray big prayers. We don't have to shy away from asking God what is on our hearts. In fact, that stuff might be on his heart as well. And if we're asking for change, then chances are that that change we're hoping for will bring God glory in that situation, and it will likely line up with his plans and purposes. And we can be confident too when we're praying those big prayers that God hears us. Look at this. You know what I'm going to say even before I say it, Lord, wrote David. Or uh, John, the Apostle John, he writes this, and we are confident that he, that's God, hears us wherever we ask, whenever we ask for anything that pleases him. And since we know he hears us when we make our requests, we also know that he will give us what we ask for. Or Peter, he wrote, the eyes of the Lord, <laughs> the eyes of the Lord watch over those who do right, and his ears are open to their prayers. So, I do want to tell you this, that God sees, God wants good for his people. And since the beginning of human history, he has been turning things around in response to people's prayers. He's been bringing good out of seemingly terrible, tragic situations. So just very quickly this morning, I want to highlight to you some big prayers. Some big prayers that people in the past have prayed. And I don't want to, I don't want to share this with you to intimidate you or, or to overwhelm you, but really just to inform you, to let you know that God has brought change to people and places in response to prayer. In fact, to inspire you maybe to share some of your own big prayers. So, are you okay with that? Okay, that's good. I don't know what I would have done if you said no. It would have been moderately awkward. Anyway, first person I want to introduce you to is a guy called Joshua. <clears throat> so about three and a half thousand years ago, the Jewish people escaped out of slavery in Egypt. You might be familiar with the story. And they entered into the land that God had promised them. And as and part of that process meant a cleansing of the land was required, of all the evil and idolatry that had been there. So that meant that the Jewish people had to go to war with the resident peoples. And so right before a significant battle uh, against this absolutely huge army, Joshua, the leader of the people of Israel, prayed this prayer. On the day the Lord gave the Israelites victory over the Amorites, Joshua prayed to the Lord. He said... Let the sun stand still over Gibeon and the moon over the valley of Elijon 
So the sun stood still in the middle of the sky and the moon stayed in place until the nation of Israel had defeated its enemies. There has never been a day like this one before or since when the Lord answered such a prayer. What about this lady, Hannah? So she was a woman who was unfortunately unable to get pregnant with her husband. And in the culture and the day at that time, being childless was like a curse. And she was ridiculed, even by members of her own family, for not having any children. And Hannah was heartbroken, understandably. So she prayed this prayer. Hannah was in deep anguish, crying bitterly as she prayed to the Lord. And she made this vow, O Lord, if you will look upon my sorrow and answer my prayer and give me a son, then I will give him back to you. He'll be yours for his entire lifetime. And so God heard her prayer and she returns home and, and Hannah and her husband slept together. And this is what happens. When Elkanah slept with Hannah, the Lord remembered her plea. And in due time, she gave birth to a son. She named him Samuel. What an answer to prayer. Or a guy called Daniel, young man who was forcibly taken from his homeland around the year 605 BC. He was set to work for the most powerful person in the world at that time, the Babylonian king Nebuchadnezzar. And so one night this king has a dream and deeply troubles him. And so he asks all his astrologers, all his advisors, to tell him both what the dream was and what it meant, which was an impossible request. I mean, no one can read minds. His, his advisors are absolutely unable to determine the dream, let alone discern the meaning. And so Nebuchadnezzar is furious with these guys, and he decrees that all his astrologers, all his advisors are going to be killed. Not a nice time if you're a wise man. So he hears this order. Daniel gathers his friends, and they start praying, and they ask God for insight and understanding. Daniel urged them, his friends, to ask the God of heaven to show them his mercy by telling them the dream so that they would not be executed along with the other wise men of Babylon. That night, the dream was revealed to Daniel in a vision. Then Daniel praised the God of heaven. That's a big prayer, right? You really want that one to be answered. Or the Jewish king Hezekiah. So in the year 700 BC, he's on his deathbed with a terminal illness. In fact, one of God's prophets comes to Hezekiah and he tells him he needs to get his affairs in order because he will not recover from this illness. Obviously, the king's devastated, so this is what he prays. When Hezekiah heard this, he prayed to the Lord. Remember, O Lord, how I've always been faithful to you and have served you single-mindedly, always doing what pleases you. Then he broke down and wept bitterly. Then God said, I have heard your prayer and seen your tears. I will heal you, and three days from now you will get out of bed. I will add 15 years to your life. So Hezekiah did recover, uh, and he was able to build a number of infrastructure projects that really benefited his people. Or Peter. In the first century, he was one of the first followers of Jesus. After Jesus was crucified and came back to life, Peter begins traveling around telling people about the good news. And he's in this port city of Joppa on the coast of Israel, and one of the faithful Christian women there, a lady called Tabitha, has recently become ill and passed away. And so Peter goes into the room where the body is being prepared for burial, and this is what happens. Peter knelt down and prayed. Turning to the body, he said, Get up, Tabitha. And she opened her eyes. When she saw Peter, she sat up. He gave her his hand and helped her up. Then, she, then he called in the widows and all the believers, and he presented her to them, Alive. Now that is a miracle, right? 
There's another miraculous event. Paul and Silas, a couple of those first followers of Jesus too, they're falsely accused of stirring up trouble in the Greek city of Philippi. They end up being beaten by a mob and then thrown into prison and, and clamped in the stocks. And then this happens. Around midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God and the other prisoners were listening. Suddenly there was a massive earthquake and the prison was shaken to its foundations. All the doors immediately flew open and the chains of every prisoner fell off. Now, that's an extraordinary event, right? But what's more extraordinary is that the prisoners don't try to escape. Despite the unjust treatment, Paul and Silas show humility and grace, and in the end, there's another miracle with the the prison guards and his family uh, become Christians. So I want you to see that the Bible is full of amazing stories of people who prayed big prayers, and God generously responds. But I also don't want you to think that that stuff is just all in the past. That's just kind of, those stories are stuck in the pages of history. And you know, for us to pray big prayers now, it's kind of, kind of pointless. Like God's not really interested in responding. I mean, nothing could be further from the truth. So let me tell you about this person, 1955. A young Dutch missionary <coughs> traveled to Poland and in his suitcase was his clothes, a Bible, and hundreds of Christian booklets which he planned to give away. And that, that young man was called Brother Andrew. And that was the start of a lifelong work for him, supporting and strengthening Christians in the countries where following the faith was difficult. It actually was the uh, beginning of the Open Doors ministry, which Brother Andrew established. And uh, in, in 1982, Open Doors began a global campaign. They, they wanted to encourage Christians around the world to commit to praying for the church in the communist countries of Eastern Europe. So if you're around in the 1980s, you'll know that at that point, at that point in history, the idea of the Soviet Union opening up to the Christian message just seemed impossible. The communist government was rigid and restrictive, and, and Christians uh, around the world nevertheless began to pray big prayers, to believe that God could bring change. And so from 1987, Russia inexplicitly began to release large numbers of religious prisoners. These prisoners had been held in labor camps and in prison cells. And so, for example, in 1985, there was over 350 Christians imprisoned for their religious beliefs in Russia. But five years later, that number dropped from 350 to 17. And there were other changes that were happening as well. The Russian postal uh, rules were relaxed. And this meant that open doors could send thousands of Bibles to uh, Christians and churches right across the Soviet Union. But perhaps the most significant change came on the 9th of November, 1989, almost seven years to the day when Open Doors began their prayer campaign for Eastern European Christians, the Berlin Wall, the literal and the figurative representation of communist repression, came crashing down. Now, I don't know what you think about that, but I think that's a reminder that nothing is impossible with God, that people in the past have prayed big prayers, they have tuned their hearts to God, and He has brought change, He has turned things around, He has turned good, he's brought good out of bad. And that through prayer, God's power is still available to us today. In fact, prayer has no limits. I love this quote from uh, Brother Andrew. He says this, Our prayers can go where we cannot. 
There are no borders, no prison walls, no doors that are closed to us when we pray. So let me just ask you this. Some of the challenges that you're facing, some of the circumstances that you're going through that you really want to see change. Have you prayed about it? Do you believe that, that God hears your cries? Do you believe that God is willing to act? Do you believe that he longs for your good? I'm just going to pause for like 30 seconds. And if you haven't already, or if you want to again, I invite you to just quietly pray. Petition God for the change that you need. 30 seconds. Go for it. For the next sort of few minutes, I want to just maybe take a step back and, and kind of go a little bit wider and look beyond our own circumstances and look at the challenges that other Christians around the world are facing. So I want to zoom in on the persecuted church. You might be familiar with this phrase, you might not be, but basically it refers to Christians who live in countries where it is dangerous to be a Christian. Most estimates put that number at about 360 million people worldwide or uh, one in seven Christians uh, in this kind of place where they face the threat of persecution for their faith every day. So persecution comes in all sort of shapes and sizes. Uh, they might be excluded socially or economically or relationally for their faith. They might experience physical persecution, beatings, kidnappings, imprisonment, torture, all because they are a Christian. And so today, like this actual day, right around the world, countless Christians are praying for the persecuted church. Open Doors is an organization which has set up this international day of prayer for the persecuted church to remind everyone worldwide to uphold Christians in those countries where it's very difficult to follow the faith. So I'm going to just introduce you to um, 10 of those countries. In fact, this group, Open Doors, puts together a, a worldwide watch list every year of the top 50 most dangerous countries to be a Christian. And this little video clip shows you the top 10. All good? All right, here we go. What would you dare to do for Jesus? Would you defy dictators? Worship in secret? Sacrifice your safety? Over 360 million Christians around the world face persecution and discrimination every day. And these are the top 10 countries where Christians risk everything for Christ. Number 10, Sudan. Unrest in Sudan has increased following a military coup. Violence and pressure against Christians have worsened. At number nine, Afghanistan. Following the Taliban takeover, those Christians who have not fled the country have been forced deep underground. If discovered, they face death. Iran is at number eight. Iranian house churches are seen as a threat by the Islamist regime. Church members who are caught are given long prison sentences. Number seven, Pakistan. Pakistan's infamous blasphemy laws are often used to target believers. Christian women and girls are vulnerable to kidnap and forced marriage. Nigeria is at number six. More Christians are killed in Nigeria than in all the other countries of the world combined. And the violence is getting worse. Number five, Libya. 
In this lawless land, both native and migrant Christians are targeted, kidnapped, and even killed. At number four is Eritrea. Christians who dare to meet without official permission risk arrest. Over a thousand believers are in jail without charge. Yemen is number three on the list. The humanitarian crisis continues. Anyone suspected of being a Christian will be deliberately overlooked for aid and might be expelled or killed by their own tribe. Number two is Somalia. Islamic militants are intensifying their hunt for Christians and violent attacks are increasing. And at number one, North Korea, the most dangerous place in the world to be a Christian. Spies are everywhere. Discovery means death, either by execution or by being worked to death in a labor camp. Despite the danger, in all these countries, the church is not defeated. It is living, powerful, defiant. And for over 65 years, Open Doors has stood with this church. Where Christians risk persecution, our underground networks support millions of believers with emergency food and aid, spiritual care, smuggled Bibles and Christian books, training and legal advice. And where Christians enjoy freedom, we work with local churches to raise prayer and support and to speak truth to those in power. Every day around the world, Christians risk everything to follow Christ. Will you dare to stand with them? It's a pretty eye-opening video, isn't it? <clears throat> See some of those countries on the news or in the um, yeah, news feeds and stuff. So on some of your seats or in the seats kind of around your vicinity, there's some cards with a little bit of info about those and, and other countries where Christians just face that threat of danger and discrimination. And, and I don't want you to think that that's just like, you know, stuff out there and it's sort of occasionally happening. <coughs> Because even in the, in the midst of those difficulties, God is still uh, at work, still, still bringing change. So let me just give you an example. Three months ago, on August the 16th, uh, mob violence broke out in, in a city called Jaranwala in Pakistan. Uh, it's a city that's probably about half the size of uh, Christchurch. And it all happened because two Pakistani Christians were accused of blasphemy. Apparently, they alleged... They were alleged to have ripped out pages of the Quran. And so these allegations, totally unverified. Uh, journalists couldn't kind of track down the actual events themselves. But it seems like a lot of that was premeditated and the attacks were, um, were kind, of, yeah, kind of planned in advance. <clears throat> anyway, so thousands of Muslim, Muslim men went across the city breaking doors and windows and houses and in churches. They grabbed Bibles, threw them out into huge bonfires. They climbed up on church buildings tore down the crosses, and in the violence, many of the Pakistani Christians in the city lost everything. In fact, one local believer observed this. They, Christian families, are faced with the reality that their homes are an empty shell of what they once, were, once was. No appliances, no clothing, no utensils. But despite that traumatic experience, 
local Christians recognized the protection of God, that God was still in the midst of those situations. In fact, in the face of that aggression, it was miraculous that there was no recorded loss of life. And, and what was even more amazing was the attitude of those local Christians who were facing that threat of persecution. This is what some of them said. We witnessed God's grace and mercy. In the storm of hate, we found refuge. We have lost everything, but we have not lost faith in our protector and sovereign king. You know, stuff like that happens every day, but in the most unlikeliest of circumstances, those big prayers are being answered. God is turning things around and bringing good to people. So I just very simply want to give you an opportunity to, to pray some big prayers uh, this morning. And so a couple of ways you can do this. So on your seats, uh, like I said, there's some cards or there or thereabouts. You might want to either by yourself or with um, a couple of people that you're kind of sitting with if you want to, no pressure, but use some of that information as a bit of a prompt. <clears throat> there might be some ideas on those cue cards that you could pray for, pray some big prayers for people, people to see change, uh, for God to do his work. Other option, if you wanted a little bit more of a tactile way to do it, is uh, there's a table at the back with some coloured strips of paper. And um, you can write a prayer on those strips of paper and then make them into a paper chain. Does everybody know how to make a paper chain? Just on a check. Okay. Uh, it's just like folding it, staple. Cool. And so the point of that is, I mean, sure, you can be creative and artistic and stuff, but the point of it is that your prayer is part of something bigger. You are asking God to intervene and, and you are a link in a chain and, and seeing that change Happen. So, again, I'm going to give you uh, a couple of minutes. There's no pressure to participate at all. You could just sit quietly and enjoy the silence for a couple of minutes. But if you are keen, I'd encourage you to pray some big prayers for people around the world. All good? Any questions? All right, go for it. Give you a couple of minutes. Hey, I hope that was um, helpful. Just gave you a chance to kind of pause and, and kind of zoom out a little bit and look beyond ourselves, which is always helpful. And also to know that we can bring all of our adoration <coughs> and our petitions and our thanksgivings to God and that he hears that. So we're going to sing um, our final song together. It's called The Blessing. And I really encourage you to, to sing that for us, for yourselves, um, and that God would bring blessing to your life as we honour him. But also for those uh, who aren't here, who are beyond this country, in those places where things are pretty tough, that God would bring blessing to them too. So, thanks team.